0: In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, we talk fools' gold, sunken continents, we get an important update on puppies, and catch up on the billionaire space race as Elon Musk lays out his future plans. But first, it was on this day in 1996 that a brand new service called Hotmail opened for the first time. Yep, imagine that you could send and receive messages across the internet, if you had the internet. A lot's changed in 25 years, although my mum is still proudly hotmail. You may have heard of Fool's Gold. No, not the 2008 comedy with Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. No, not the seminal Stone Roses City that is better known as Pyrite. And while it looks like gold, it's considered next to worthless. Until now that
1: is. Hi, hello. I'm Dr. Dennis Fougerouze from Curtin University. It's my pleasure to be on your podcast today. And while it was known
0: that pyrite contained some gold, new research from Curtin University shows that pyrite actually contains invisible gold.
1: It's been known Ben there is gold in pyrite for quite some time now. Gold miners quite like to mine pyrite when gold is present in it, but it requires quite heavy uh, industrial infrastructures, particularly to extract the gold from from the pyrite. What we discovered in in our last study is that uh, gold uh, can have different crystallographic positions than we previously thought. Although there is uh, a little bit of gold in pyrite, the specific distribution that we found is is rather uh, high. In, in its content, which means that uh, there's potentially ways to extract this gold uh, in, in a more profitable way if, if we can target just this uh, higher concentration of gold in a pyrite.
0: And why are scientists looking at pyrite now? Be careful with that mic there, Doctor.
1: Only in the last few years, we had this uh, new instrumentation available uh, to researchers, which is called an atom probe. And, and this type of instruments uh, for the first time allow us to see the new kind of gold when we found in Parite. Previously to that, it was just too hard. We, we couldn't have the spatial resolution and the sensitivity to, to see it. Uh, to give you a, a, an image, uh, the features when we image and where the gold is in, in a Parite we've studied is, is approximately 100,000 times smaller than the width of a human hair.
0: world of lighting has been moving at dizzying speed in recent years. We've gone from Thomas Edison-style element bulbs to halogen and now
2: LED. Hi, my name is Jay Guo, a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Michigan in the US.
0: So let's start with OLED. What is it and what does it do?
2: OLED stands for organic light-emitting diodes or organic light-emitting devices. It works by annihilating a pair of electrically injected electron and holes, and energy released goes to the emitted photon. By a discovery made over 20 years ago, this process has been made 100% efficient. However, only a small fraction of the generated light can actually get out of the device. Most of the light are either guided in the OLED device or lost in the electrode, or totally internally reflected from the glass substrate that the device is built on.
0: So it sounds like it's pretty inefficient in terms of the amount of light created, but I'm guessing you've come up with a solution, right?
2: So in our work, we replace the ITO by a very thin metal transparent electrode, and we show that it can completely eliminate the waveguiding effect in the OLED device layers. This would mean that most of the light can actually get out of the OLED device and reach the substrate. By using strategies researchers have already, been, have already developed in the past, for example, by using microlens array, making the interface rough to scatter the light, or using some scattering particles, we can expect more light can be emitted out of the OLED device in the future.
0: This could have serious implications, then, in terms of energy efficiency, surely.
2: A traditional OLED device can only output 20% of the photons it generates. Now, if we can increase this output by 20 more percent, then it would mean the power saving for the display will be 50%. He
0: seems like a bright guy. <laughs> Did you get it bright light? Oh, okay, forget it. As a child, you probably heard stories of the lost city of Atlantis, but of course it never actually existed. It was in fact created by Plato as part of his writings, a parable of greed and hubris. However, it turns out there may in fact be a sunken continent and it's right underneath our feet.
3: My research has uh, basically turned upside down. Um current theories on the North Atlantic Ocean and and the region around Iceland in particular. And the reason Iceland is so unusual is that, in fact, underneath the surface lavas, there is a little
0: continent. A new study from the University of Durham, led by Professor Gillian Folger, made the discovery, and they estimate the continent could stretch all the way from Greenland to Europe.
3: If we can go back in time, say, 10 million years... What you would see is a bridge 300 kilometres north-south and 1,000 kilometres east-west, spanning the Atlantic Ocean. If you were on foot or if you were riding a horse, uh, you would be able to travel from Britain to Greenland on dry land. Um, This was known as the Thulean Land Bridge. Um, As time has gone on, it's gradually sunk below the ocean, and the only part of this land bridge that's still remaining above the surface of the
0: ocean is Iceland. That certainly would have made Brexit a slightly more difficult proposition. Am I right? The space race between our friendly local billionaires has suddenly heated up. Elon Musk has been a long-time fan of space travel and has been particularly focused on Mars. But Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson have been busy too. Now they're competing to see which one can get into space first over the next few weeks. Elon Musk has bigger plans, and he spoke at this week's World Mobile Congress about his new satellite internet service, Starlink. And he also laid out his plans for the future of SpaceX.
4: SpaceX was really started with the goal of... um Trying to make life multiplanetary, or making as much progress as possible towards making life multiplanetary, um, the you uh, know in, in order to to make life multiplanetary and become a space-faring civilization uh, in the truest sense of the word, uh, the rocket technology must be improved dramatically. Uh, in particular, the the holy grail for rocketry is uh, rapidly reusable. Reliable rockets. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> SpaceX have made huge progress with reusable rockets, but that in itself, that's not going to get us to Mars, is it?
4: But we still need to uh, take this to another level. With uh, and That's what, why we have the Starship uh, development, which is a much bigger rocket. It's the biggest rocket ever developed. Um, it will have more than twice the thrust of the Saturn V moon rocket. Oh. Um, and it's designed for full and... Rapid reusability. Uh, so, this is with a, with a 100 ton uh, to orbit capability, possibly with, re- with further refinements, 150 tons to orbit, um, and uh, with the ability to launch uh, with no zero expected reverb between flights. But like so, like an airplane.
0: Okay, Elon. So once you've got rocket ships that can operate like airplanes and potentially refuel each other or transfer payloads while in orbit, then the sky is really no longer the limit.
4: Starship is is uh, the first system that will be capable of building a a base on the moon and a city on Mars. Well, so you can see it's a progress online right now. It's quite followed quite rigorously on the internet. In fact, often if I want to see what the latest thing is, I just go on the internet. It's being developed in South Texas on right next to a public road. So never of the public have telephoto lenses pointed at our vehicle. So we're, we're hoping to do our first uh, orbital launch attempt in the next um, next few months. We'll certainly will have a booster and a ship, and the uh, overall launch site will all we'll be ready within the next uh, month or so.
0: Jeff and Richard, it's over to you. As the world becomes more conscious of climate change and when footage of the Gulf of Mexico literally on fire goes viral as a pipeline bursts, more and more people have started to move away from a meat-based diet. A Spanish company called Novameat are already ahead of the curve. They've been developing plant-based meat substitutes for a Michelin-starred restaurant in Spain and founder Giuseppe Schianti explains to us how they 3D print their steaks.
5: Yeah, so it's very interesting because um, 3D printing is a tool to an end. The tool is because I was using 3D printing, specifically uh, a technology called bioprinting to generate, regenerate organs for biomedical purposes. In the lab for 10 years, I've been working on that as a researcher and then as a professor. And I discovered that I could get the same appearance, the same texture of animal tissues, but using um, plant-based ingredients. So 3D printing is what we use at small scale, and it's very spectacular. Although for scaling up to create an impact, we can also adapt this technology to bigger machines, larger machines, which are not actually 3D printers. We call them micro-extruders.
0: And now you're going to scale up and provide these steak-alikes all around the world?
5: We have in our, um, in our plans, uh, in the laboratory of Disfrutar, which is one of the top 10 restaurants in the world, we do research over there. And we uh, think we will start by with a very special restaurant in Catalonia, which is a steakhouse, uh, which provides also Kobe beef, And this very exotic meat and we want to put this kind of meat as a meat of the future which is of course more sustainable and uh, ethical etc so there is uh, an interest in seeing what even omnivorous or carnivorous people think of trying this kind of product
0: it sounds impressive but the big question is what does this nova meat plant-based steak actually taste like
5: so we started with something which is very special which is the texture we focused on getting the right texture, fibrous texture. So we compared Nova meat with different kind of meats, such as uh, um, Kobe, kangaroo, zebra. Uh, so uh, with our experts, with our collaborators, we discovered that it's very interesting for a meat-eater as an alternative to meat. Okay, And I think for a meat-eater it's about curiosity, not just about you know um, ex- expecting something that tastes exactly the same. We think that uh, the taste now is very good, but it's not exactly the same yet. We think that it's a a matter of curiosity. If you try, you will like, even if you're a meat eater, and you might want to do that sometimes, or you might just want to try it once. This is what we think is going to be for meat eaters at the beginning.
0: Lockdown saw a boom in pets with 3.2 million households in the UK getting themselves a new one during the pandemic. And with 12 million dogs as pets in the UK, maybe it's time to look at some research on
6: puppies. Hi, I'm Dr. Emily Bray, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Arizona and Canine Companions.
0: So doctor, do dogs just naturally connect with their owners or is there more to it than that?
6: We know that adult dogs show skill in following communicative gestures and making eye contact with humans but why? Is the acquisition of these skills solely dependent upon learning and the experiences that dogs accrue over their lives? Or could it be that over the course of domestication, these sorts of skills have been selected for and dogs are now set up to be receptive to our communication from shortly after birth? We worked with 375 puppies and puppies participated in four different tasks of social cognition. Two that measured their ability to follow a communicative cue, like a human point, and two that measured their propensity to make eye contact with a human. So for example, in one task, the experimenter looked at the puppy and talked to them in a voice that closely mimicked how people talk to babies. And then we recorded how much eye contact they made.
0: Blimey, you're really putting those puppies through their paces. So what does the research show?
6: We really find that dogs excel at social communication. So even before puppies have left their litter mates to live one-on-one with their human razor, most of them are able to interpret human cues in a social context and reciprocate eye contact. And importantly, we found that puppies understand from the very first trial. And so it seems likely that they really are starting the task with the communicative ability necessary to be successful. In terms of if we need to communicate with our dogs in a particular way, Luckily for us, the sorts of things that we naturally do in communicative situations with our own species, and especially with children, so things like making eye contact and speaking in a high-pitched baby talk voice, um, are exactly the sorts of cues that dogs are really sensitive to as well.
0: Who's a good boy, then, eh? Who, who's a good boy? Okay, so research involving 375 puppies sounds like it's pretty much the best job in the world, am I right?
6: I can confirm that working with puppies all day is indeed the best job ever. Um, that's not to say there aren't moments of frustration, but even when they're chewing on the edge of the testing mat or going to the bathroom in the middle of the floor, they somehow manage to still be adorable. And the repetition of the exact same tasks hundreds of times should be have become monotonous, Uh, but instead the puppies' antics and their individual personalities really kept us on our toes and made every testing session interesting.
0: The U.S. government finally released the long-awaited report on UFO activity, and well, it was kind of an anticlimax. We think more or less a giant shrug of the shoulders and a whole lot of unexplained flying objects. Nick Pope is the man who ran the UK government's UFO project. My name's
7: Nick Pope, Ministry of Defence, retired. So, Nick, this report from the Pentagon,
0: as someone as invested in UFOs as you are. Disappointing, is it fair to say?
7: Well, I'm not so sure, actually. I think I saw some quite encouraging things in it. I know it didn't deliver the so-called disclosure that the UFO community was looking for, but somebody with a government background like myself reading that there are various words and phrases that leap out at me and and in particular the reference to radio frequency energy and signature management so the question now becomes moving forward is it russia is it china or is it something else which would we prefer that's actually um an interesting question on which views are divided senator marco rubio made an interesting point. He said, if it is Russia and China, they've made a a technological breakthrough that has left the United States standing. I think I disagree because look, if this is Russia or China, they may not be our best friends, but at least we can pick up the phone and talk to them. Would
0: it not be helpful for China and Russia to share their experiences of UFOs with the rest of the world as well?
7: It would be helpful, but I don't think they'll do it. A lot of that just reflects the nature of the regimes there, the, the idea of sharing data is is runs counter to the whole ethos.
0: Which theory do you do you hold uh, firm in your beliefs? Are we under observation, or are we on the brink of communication?
7: Well, it could be both.
0: All these different instances that the Pentagon are reporting could just be a multitude of different beings, couldn't they?
7: I think the chances of there being two civilizations in the universe, us plus one, um, is is as unlikely. As us being completely alone. I rather like to think that if we are being visited, it they're coming here as, as anthropologists to study our, our society and, and maybe to look at some of the things that we've created, because we're not going to have anything to teach advanced technological civilizations about science and technology. But some of the more abstract things, art, literature, music, poetry,
0: I love that you've chosen the arts as being like humanity's greatest strengths. Are you listening, Boris?
7: I mean, many, many civilizations have probably come to the same understandings about, for example, the laws of physics. But something like Michelangelo's David, or, or Botticelli's Birth of Venus, those will be the sorts of things I think, I hope, that visiting extraterrestrials would be interested in.
0: I love that we can offer them beauty. Uh, Nick, finally, two questions. Uh, hopefully you can give me one-word answers. I'm going to press you on this. First question, have the Pentagon told us the truth in this report?
7: Yes. I, I know that will surprise people, but yes, the truth as they currently understand it to be. But there is a classified annex, so not everything has gone in this report.
0: Finally, uh, Nick Pope, uh, are we going to see aliens in our in our lifetime? Yes. Oh, that's what we wanted to hear. Nick, thank you so much. That's exciting. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.